I don't want to say necessarily evil because, like I said, unions aren't inherently evil. Um, but a union is a necessary thing um, because there are going to be issues. You have to have a way to solve them with due process for the teacher. And that's, that's what a union guarantees. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Ace Pot, a production of the Association of Clubs Educators. You know, we hear from the opposition a lot, the same old cliched rhetoric recycled from years of anti-union propaganda that the, the local union will be controlled by the CTA, um, that unions and administration cannot get along, and unions don't work for those that identify as politically conservative. Now let's think about this. 92% of California educators are unionized. 92%, that's pretty high. And, and this includes the highest performing public school districts in the state. You know, it seems like these horror stories that we hear all the time might be exaggerated. Or they often come from people that don't actually work in union districts. You know, so in this episode, we we're gonna to go to someone that knows. Doug Childress is a self-identified conservative that has served the students of Riverdale for 30 years. He is also the union president. Let's see what he has to say about unions, CTA, and so much more. Doug, hello, and welcome to the Ace Pod. All right, Doug, be here. Good evening. All right. So um, you come from us or come to us from from Riverdale and uh, we're excited to have you because you're, you know, um, teacher, you have all this experience and uh, a lot of experience with the Riverdale Teachers Association. So why don't we just start with uh, a little bit about yourself and, you know, kind of where'd you grow up and where'd you go to school and how'd you become a teacher? Okay, well, as everyone knows, my name is Doug Childress. Uh, I am a teacher and president of the Riverdale Teachers Association out in Riverdale. Um, I grew up actually near the town of Riverdale. I grew up right in between the towns of Riverdale and Carruthers. Um, my parents moved out to the area when I was four years old, so basically I kind of grew up as a country boy uh, on the family ranch and went to kindergarten in Riverdale schools, graduated from Riverdale High School, and then basically went up to Fresno, started at Fresno City College, transferred out to Fresno State, and started out actually not sure why, but thought I wanted to be an architect, and I that lasted a year, and although I really enjoyed the technical part of it and the technical drawing part of it, I just didn't really enjoy the professional part of it. So I kind of went back to uh, what I kind of had thought of doing off and on throughout my educational career uh, for various reasons. Um, part of it in elementary school, I had some teachers who were less than ideal, let's to be politically correct. And um, I've always kind of been, I guess, either blessed or cursed with a, with a critical thinking mode in my mind. So I 
even as a young child, I critically thought about a lot of the things that were going on as I went through education, and I wasn't happy with a lot of it. Um, a lot of the ways that some of my friends were um, treated who were less than scholars, let's say. And so that just kind of led me down the road of thinking I wanted to get into teaching and then some coaching and things like that. So uh, I got sidelined by the architecture thing for just a little bit. And then I said, nope, I, that's not for me. And I went back in and luckily I'd only done a little bit with architecture. I had been, continued taking all of my general ed and had some, taken some liberal studies thing. So I didn't get too far behind and uh, just started going back into the educational field. Um, it took me a while and I worked part-time, uh, went to school full-time, worked part-time, then ended up working full-time and going to school part-time. So I didn't start teaching until I was 30. Um, again, because we came, I came from the rural area, my family was on a little farm and when you're on a little farm, your family doesn't make a lot of money. So, <laughs> and, uh, I put myself through school. I didn't, do the scholarships. I didn't get loans. I didn't do this and that. I just, I had a thing that I wanted to do it on my own. So I did it on my own. It just took me longer. Uh, in the meantime, got married, started a family. Um, you know, I just, I worked in education. I actually worked for Resna Unified in the operations department while I was going to school. Um, because basically it offered decent pay and it offered benefits and insurance for the family. So uh, it was a good way to get put myself through school and also gave me a little bit of a taste of the uh, of the of the union life. Um, so I did early on, I kind of saw a little bit of union in action. And um, then when I started teaching, it was I already had a little bit of a background, so I kind of knew what was going on. It wasn't anything new to me. You so you um, did you start teaching uh in Riverdale is, is, uh, actually I started teaching. I taught for a couple of years in Selma in the opportunity program there, which I enjoyed. It wasn't exactly where I wanted to end up for the rest of my career, but I actually did enjoy it. It was, uh, op the opportunity program, as you know, deals with seriously at-risk students. And that's one of the reasons I went into teaching was to work with at-risk students. Um, it was a little more, um, a little more of a, well, put it this way, I wouldn't be, I wasn't able to do coaching or things like that. And I was, I was happy there. Um, but then just as luck would have it, I, this was back in the days when newspapers were still large and newspapers still had really large um, one ad uh, sections. And I happened to pick one up during a break because at the time I was working at Selma, I was also still working evenings with Fresno Unified. So at my break one night, I opened the paper and just looked through the classifieds and there was a job for a sixth grade teacher at Riverdale Elementary. And that was my home school, my home elementary school. And I'm like, oh, well, this, this was for a reason. So I, one thing led to another and the following year I was teaching in Riverdale. Imagine that, finding a teaching job at a newspaper. <laughs> yeah, that's not something that happens nowadays. <laughs> my God, yeah. Um, is the opportunity program was at middle school? Uh, that way it was middle school, high school. Yeah, I was at at the time I was with Selma. I was working with the seventh and eighth grade opportunity students. Yes. Yeah. Could you uh, just for you know our listeners who maybe have never heard of opportunity? Could you just talk about what that 
that program? Uh, basically, the opportunity program uh, in Selma, it's basically their alternative education program. Uh, the students who are, for whatever reason, either discipline or uh, truancy or whatever the reason, they're removed from the traditional school program. They're sent to what is called Heartland School. I'm assuming it's still there and still, I think the last time I was through Selma, I went, drove by and still saw Heartland School there. I don't think they've moved it. Uh, they're sent to Heartland School, the alternative education program, or basically the seventh and eighth pro, uh, program is called Opportunity. But it, it's basically the alternative education program. Right. All right. So, you know, after doing that, you, you find the sixth grade job in the newspaper in Riverdale and you return to your, your home school. Did, had you, were you still living in Riverdale this whole time? Uh, no, actually, we were, well, I had lived while, for quite some time. We had lived in Fresno Clovis uh, while we were, we were renting uh, there. And then I was actually renting a home from a family friend um, just west of Carruthers at the time um, when I was working at Selma. And then, well, it was still there when I started at Riverdale. But then basically, we we have the family the family ranch so I, we ended up building our house on the family ranch and uh so that's where i live now so basically i live I, i'm living on the same property i grew up on and i'm teaching in the school that i went to when i was growing up so all right and, and I, just, how, I haven't gone too far from my roots i guess uh yeah you, know, you took a little journey uh, uh <laughs> out to the big city of fresno right and then yep. back. how long have you been at riverdale now uh, in Riverdale, this is my 30th year because the two are uh, 32 years total. So yeah, 30, well, yeah, 30 years, 32 years total in teaching. Yeah. And, uh, what, what, what grade levels have you taught? I did sixth grade. I told you, I told you earlier it was 30 years. did teach just sixth grade for 28 years and now two years in fifth grade. And, and what have you coached? I've coached, <laughs> what have I not coached? I've coached, uh, football, basketball, track. Uh, soccer. I don't think I haven't coached baseball. So, <laughs> and boys and girls uh, basketball. Um, yeah, flag, we do flag football. I've taught, it's been coached at the junior high level and the elementary level. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> for a long time. I, yeah. I, I, I stopped coaching about, about five or six years ago. Uh, I just, just too many other things going on. I wasn't able to put the time into it that, that yeah. it requires. So um, I, I've given it up to the younger crowd. Yeah. Um, so what, will you just, you know, talk about Riverdale a little bit, but, you know, kind of what the, yeah, how many schools, how many students, what's the, the demographic like? Riverdale is a, it's a very small community. It's really about the same size it was when I was growing up while it has, changed considerably um in the overall look of the town since i was a kid um it still is in many ways the same there are three we have basically three campuses we have our primary school phipps primary then we have the elementary school and then we have the high school uh there's also an alternative ed horizon high which used to be a separate campus but it is now housed within the uh within the high school campus so basically three campuses. Uh, Riverdale is a very rural district. Um, predominantly um, the families, of, we, we have a lot of dairy, so a lot of dairy worker families. Um, basically, if it's not dairy, it's some other form of agriculture. We're, we're basically just an agricultural rural community. So you have 
a primary and then an elementary? And so is the primary K-3? The, the primary is K-3. The elementary is basically a blended elementary, junior high. We are 4-8 um, technically. And that's one thing we are working on is changing the 7-8 schedule to where they're more in line with such like a high school schedule or a traditional junior high schedule because right now they're kind of a blend because they have to kind of fit in with us because we share music teachers, we share a few things. So we're working on making them more of a true junior high. Uh, it is going, it's, it's, there's some growing pains with that, but we're, we're working it out. Had the pandemic not hit this year, we probably would have worked it out this year. We've got it. We're pretty close. We just, there's, we're not close enough to call it done yet. So I, we're going to stall it off another year for, I mean, just to kind of segue into some union activity. This is a bargaining year and we were going to work language in to where it did deal with the junior high schedules and all that, but we're, we're putting that off till next year. This is going to be a one-year uh, contract anyhow, because of the pandemic, we were purposely doing a one-year. So, um, we're, we want to do it right, so we're waiting till next year before we totally separate the seven eight from the from the four six. I mean, we're still going to be on the same campus, but it's going to be more of a it will have more of a feel of two separate schools on the same campus once once it's done. And um, yeah, before we get you know, segue into your union activity, but you know how how big is the I mean, how many students at like, let's say, the high school? Uh, well, you can almost look. You can almost. It's it's pretty even. Uh, you can say pretty much our ADA hovers somewhere the high 14s to the mid 15s to uh, four, I think we're at 1480 right now because we've lost obviously some ADA due to the pandemic. Right. Um, we normally hang out around 1550. Um, and you can call you might it's roughly 500 at each campus okay you know, 550 right. at one 500 and you know so right, right. between five and 550 at each campus okay all right so now let's segue into you know the union activity we just um you know how did you and you know you talked about your experience in you know fresno unified and getting kind of some exposure and then you know when did you you know kind of get active in riverdale and then ultimately, how did you become, you know, the president of the Riverdale Teachers Association? Uh, basically, um, I, I've never really been a strong union proponent, uh, simply just because there are lots of things unions do I don't agree with. Um, however, uh, in education and in some other fields as well, I do feel unions are necessary simply because of the political nature of the career and going into teaching. Um, to be honest, the reason I joined RTA or basically CTA through RTA, um, the reason I joined was basically just the pragmatic decision that I wanted that I wanted the million dollars of legal coverage and the amount I pay for my union dues per month. I could not buy a decent, legal insurance uh that's comparable to that anywhere else so it was just um pretty much for the first few years that i was in the union that was pretty much the reason i joined um the the longer i was in it 
and I did start going to some meetings. And then, of course, I was younger and I was a little more cavalier in my younger days and not quite so. Um, let's just say I didn't bite my tongue as well as I should have maybe sometimes. So and in a small district, that can be worse than what it is in a big district, because what you say gets around town really quick. Yeah, harder to hide, right? Yeah. So there, you know, there's a couple of times that I clashed with a few parents. Um, and it never came to a point to where I felt my job was threatened. But at the same time, um, the realization was there that most likely if there wasn't a union, I probably would not have been employed in Riverdale very long. Um because some of the toes I stepped on were some pretty powerful people. So can you, can you just uh, kind of explain that, you know, million dollars of of liability insurance? What, what is, what does that do? What's that for? Basically uh, as part of your benefit, when you're paying dues, if you're a dues paying member with um, whatever um, local is, but you're, you're, obviously tied to CTA. So CTA provides a million dollars worth of legal coverage for any job related. I mean, obviously if, you know, getting a divorce or something like that, or if you're, you know, caught drunk driving or something like that, no, sorry, they're not going to help you. But if it is job related um, and you just basically have to contact your rep, your rep contacts the, in your case, uh, in our case, the Fresno CTA office and they put you in touch with the legal department and you get an attorney and an attorney will is basically, it's basically hired. They basically hire an attorney for you to uh, see you through whatever activity needs to be seen through. And that's covered, like I said, up to a million dollars for coverage, which still goes pretty far in legal proceedings. And a lot of people think, oh, that's a big deal. I'll never use it. And just in a little podunk town like Riverdale, um, I can speak over just the last five years of three times where we've had teachers use it and needed it and needed it pretty seriously. And so it is, it, it, it's a it's a very strong reason. It's not the only reason now, obviously, that I would say to join CTA, but it is a very strong reason to join CTA. You, you can't beat the deal anywhere else. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really good to have a legal department that is basically experts in the educational field uh, on, on your side if you need them. And nowadays, you need them more often than you think. <laughs> so, you know, at the times we live in, you just you never know. Uh, it's it's just too easy to find yourself in a bad situation. Yeah, and I mean, uh, so it could be you know something that pops up with a student or a parent, right? Or you know, it, it, exactly right. Yeah, God um, forbid, you know, you, if you had to, you know, kind of fight against some sort of like unfair dismissal or disciplinary action, right? Right. Yep. Uh, it can be. Yeah, you can have. You know, like. It can be anything from an administrator having it out for you. It could be anything from a parent having it out for you. It can be anything to, you know, some kid that thinks it's funny to say, hey, my teacher did this or that. And, you know, just for whatever reason, either because they seriously want to get you in trouble or some kids just don't realize the ramifications of things they say. 
I'm going to let my dog out real fast. We'll edit this part out. I know. I see. Okay. So, I mean, that, that sounds, you know, that you, that's one of the benefits, right? What are, you know, uh, you know, well, let's do this. How did you, you know, well, go, you know go from that pragmatic decision to, Hey, now you're the president. Yeah. Well, you know, and before we go there, let, let me just put it this way. My mom for years taught in a very, very small rural district to the Northwest of me. Uh, their ADA was like a hundred for their, for their, they were a K-8 district and they were not union. Um, but, and my mom is, I'm termed a conservative. My mom is about probably my level of conservative times 10. And yet she, though she would never let her superintendent or her principal know, she went up every year to the Fresno CTA office and she bought her membership um, to CTA uh, on her own. Uh, they were not, they were obviously did not have a local, but you know, you can still belong to CTA without having a local. Um, it's not as easy for you and you don't have quite as many benefits. Obviously you're not bargaining your, your contract or anything, but she did it basically just because of the legal protection. Uh, she just, she knew that it could come in handy. And to her, it was kind of the same thing. What she paid in dues was worth it to her for the protection. Okay, so um, you know that that pragmatism runs in the family, then, right? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So how'd you go from from that to being union president? Well, as I said, you know, I, for the first couple of years, I went to a couple of meetings here and there. Never was really that involved. Was kind of busy. Was coaching. Was doing other things. So found other reasons. Found that and other reasons not to go to union meetings. Uh, then I ended up going to a few, and then kind of got to got a little more not necessarily involved but just kind of paying attention to things that were going on and um kind of took part in some discussions on bargaining and things like that never really anything too serious and then like lo and behold i think one meeting i didn't go to i got nominated to be a site rep because <laughs> basically i was so i was i became a site rep in abs in absentia just basically because they could nominate me and elect me and i didn't have anything to say about it so i became a site rep and then as site rep i became obviously more active and that's when i you know once you become active <laughs> it kind of opens your eyes because there's a lot of things to go on that in your everyday teaching life, when you're busy, you don't realize what's going on. And I mean, it's like I say now, I mean, me and my partner teacher, because my partner teacher also is, she's my treasurer uh, of our local. And so we talk quite a bit about union stuff, but it's like, you know, we just, there's so much going on that teachers don't know about uh, that are, they're insulated from because of things that are going on in the background. And which is good because they can then concentrate on their jobs rather than all this other stuff. Um, and that's not to say that it's all bad stuff. There's good stuff going on, but there's still things that need to be done in the background that, that the union does. Um, so, you know, it's it, as I became more active in that way, as I saw more of what is done at the local level, I became a little more interested 
And then, oh, geez, after being a site rep for probably, oh, good Lord, probably 10 years or so, um, the vice president's uh, position came open and I ran for that and got that. And so then working in conjunction with my president, who <laughs> I'm, I'm term conservative, my president at the time was the opposite of conservative. <laughs> and, and yet we worked very well together. We kind of balanced each other out, to be honest, um, because, well, she realized that while she thought I was a conservative, I'm more towards the center than she thought I was. And I thought she was always pretty far liberal. And I found out that she was a lot more central than, you know, than I thought she was. So, and the, so the bottom line is we ended up actually working very well together. Now I will say our styles of how we work with the district are night and day different. Um, not to say that what she didn't did was not right. She, she did very well. She was our president for a long time. She actually basically before she came and before she became president, we, there was no RTA. We were not members of CTA. We did not have a local. So she developed the local. Um, but she also, I think because of that, she had a very strong feeling about it and she had to fight her way up. So that kind of, I think, hardened her a little bit. Whereas I came in, I didn't have to do the hard, hard work. So it's a little easier for me. And I will say when I took over as president, when she retired and she left, which was three years ago, um, we weren't necessarily in a great spot with our district. We weren't in a bad spot, although I will say three or three or four. I can't remember now. I'd have to look back. Um, negotiation cycles ago, I mean, we went as far as um, basically going to arbitration. So it was a tough time. Uh, we were, we butted heads quite a bit with our superintendent and with our board. And it, it, it was, it wasn't as bad as many districts are, but it was a lot worse than what we are now. Um, when I took over my first year, I won't say it was rough, but it wasn't easy. Um, I had to work and develop a lot of trust with the superintendent and with board members. Um, in the meantime, we have had some board members change. So I think our board's kind of heading in a better direction than we were, but, uh, the main thing, and I've mentioned it before is basically I got my superintendent. I just, I got a thing from CTA in the mail and my email one day about the, uh, labor management initiative, LMI, and I forwarded it to my superintendent and he said, all right, let's go. So we went and. I, that is the best, that, that was the best thing I ever did, uh, for, for the relationship of RTA in our district. And it, it, it's made a huge difference in the way that we work as a district. Um, we are, it's not to say there aren't disagreements. There are going to be disagreements yet. We do realize now that both RTA and the district, we are working for, what's best for the kids. Obviously the district has their ideas. We have our ideas, but we now basically work for a middle ground and it's much easier to find that middle ground now. And, you know, we can use the pandemic as an example. Um, when the pandemic hit, when schools shut down last March, uh, 
we were literally sitting in the conference room. It was um, RTA. It was our SEIU reps. It was all of our um, all of our site admin, our district admin, all basically sat around in the conference room, had literally a roundtable, and basically brainstormed where we were going to go. It was not just the decisions weren't all just made at the top; they were all made together. And in in literally two, in some cases three days, we had laptop computers in all our kids' hands. We had hotspots in in the hands of kids that needed them. We went from being a traditional rural school using laptops here and there, but basically, you know, textbooks, paper, pencil, this, that, the other. We went from that to basically a totally online school in less than a week. Uh, couldn't have done that if everybody didn't work together. And it, it, it took a lot of work. It took agreements from teachers. It took agreements from our tech department, admin, everybody. Um, but we, we pulled together and not to say there haven't been rough spots. There have been, but the rough spots have basically come from mandates from the state and from other things. It really hasn't come from disagreements over uh, anything with the pandemic. We have not, there hasn't been the need for bargaining on every single issue because we can just basically sit down and, and talk things out and work things out without having to bargain every single item. And the superintendent literally, I mean, I, I laugh with joke with my, with my partner because my partner teacher, because literally I'll be sitting here teaching and, you know, I'll either fire off a question to the superintendent or he'll fire off a question in email. Next thing I know, he's walking through my door and we're having a quick discussion for two minutes and before, before he moves on. Um, it's the superintendent and I have, be, have really come to know each other over the past year. And uh, but but it's it's been for the betterment of the district. So I as bad as the pandemic is, I do think it's actually helped us as a district realize that we can work together and I, I think we've done we've done a really good job um you know i have to and, and it's not i'm not going to pat my back and say it's rta that did it i'm not going to say you know it's not it's no one entity that did it but all the entities worked well together and i i think it would have been different had the pandemic hit three years ago I mean, it's just an extraordinary story, like one that's just diametrically opposed to, uh, I think, our experience here in Clovis um, and, you know, speaks to the power, obviously, of relationships. Um, and could you, you know, so, you know, we, we hear a few different, um, you know, kind of oppositional ideas to unionization and to what we're trying to do here with the Association of Clovis Education. Uh, Clovis educators. And one of them is this just like uh, a consistent idea that, um, you know, unions and administration just inherently are, are at odds. Um, and you, I mean, you know, you talked that, hey, that, that at the beginning of your tenure, that it was a little, you know, it was a little tougher than it is now. And could you just talk about the California Labor Management Initiative and kind of what that is and what, yeah. what well, sorts you know, of things does it do to help you build better relationships? The, the funny thing is, is to me, 
the labor management initiative is just common sense. Um, all it really does, I mean, we went to the first meeting and of course we have only been in it for two years now uh, with the second year being the pandemic. So no one's really had time to do much, but that first year we did go to a few of their conferences. But, you know, the main thing is, is it's basically literally just kind of setting everybody down and say, look, you're in this for the same reason you're educating kids and put all the differences aside and realize that you're both working for the same thing. And that's, I mean, it really is that simple. And the, um, I, I mean, the, the, the district that is kind of the poster child for LMI is a Dinuba. And they tell a very powerful story of how literally the, the, who is the guy that is now the president of their teachers union uh, literally stood up at one time in a board meeting and asked for the superintendent's resignation. And he is still the president of that, you know, the superintendent is still there. And now he and the superintendent meet at least two times a week for breakfast and sometimes go golfing on the weekend. Um, still don't agree on everything, but they found out how to work through everything. Um, that's all it is. It's, it's a lot of it's putting egos aside and putting, putting kids first for like you're supposed to. And if people realize that, that you can do it. Um, and if your administration and your union leadership are willing to do it, it can work. Now, obviously both parties have to be willing. Um, but again, and I've said it before, you're, you know, a union, I'm not saying every union and every local is, is working as well with our admin as we are. Uh, clearly there are those that aren't, um, you know, everybody I'm sure has read the papers and seen the stories from LA Unified over the pandemic and all this and that. That's a whole other story. Um, your union and your union membership and your, your union reflects your membership and your membership's thinking. Um, if you have union leadership who is not mirroring what the membership wants, the membership can replace that, that, that leadership. Um, your, le your leaders should represent the, the makeup of your district, of, of, the, of the teachers and how they feel. Um, it doesn't have to be an adversarial position between the union and the district. That's not to say it's always going to be agreement. It's not, and people need to understand that. There are going to be times you disagree. I mean, we sat down and I did my salary proposal last week and the superintendent looked at it and he's like, well, you realize, yeah, there's going to be negotiation over the summer. I get that. But at the same time, there's not the, there's not the feeling of animosity. There's not the feeling that we're, that, you know, one side's going to win and one side's going to lose. We're just going to sit down. Okay. What can we do? This is what we need and we'll work it out. Um, it's, it's not the feeling of, well, we did this, but, you know, they only want to give us the, it's, it's a different feeling now. Um, and that's kind of what LMI did for us. Um, I was trying to, before LMI, I was trying to kind of turn it. I mean, there's different ways to bargain. Uh, most people think you sit down, you know, you sit at the bargaining table and it's going to be a big fight and everybody's yelling at each other. And it can be that way. Um, I've 
seen it that way. <laughs> I, I, I've been in a few of those bargaining sessions. But when I took over, um, there's also what you call interest-based bargaining. And that's basically what I was trying to turn it towards. And interest-based bargaining is where basically, you know, each side has their interests and you state your interest and you try to come together and hit middle ground. And if you, if both sides are, I'm going to use the, the pragmatic word again, if both sides are pragmatic and, and rational, it doesn't have to be a big fight. It really doesn't. You know, yes, there's going to be certain things that one side gives on. There's going to be certain things the other side gives on. But that's that's why it's called negotiation. <laughs> it's just it, it doesn't have to be there doesn't have to be hard feelings. And it it just seems to be you know proof positive, right? That you know you talk about having you know. Uh, union presidents having relationships with superintendents and school board me- uh, members. Um, and uh, I remember we, we uh, went to some, you know, conference web conferences with uh, some folks from San Diego Unified and the San Diego Unified president and a board member said they, you know, spoke daily uh, during mm-hmm. the pandemic and they worked in collaboration yep. Yeah, and uh, San Diego is a big LMI proponent, if, I, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, you're just right. Like, we can have difficult conversations <laughs> and still have really good relationships with people. I'm not sure uh, where, how we got to this place in the world where when we disagree on something that we automatically, the, the relationship disintegrates. It's, yeah, because I can't imagine making it through this pandemic had, the super, had my superintendent and I not had the relationship we have and not, not have built the trust we have built over the past couple of years because, yeah, just like you were saying with the people in San Diego, I mean, last summer, I, I didn't go anywhere except here into town and basically in his office or, you know, I mean, I, I think I met with him, if not once or twice a day, maybe sometimes three times a day. Um, I mean, I was literally sitting in his office and you'd see, I mean, we'd be discussing something and he'd say, well, this, you know, this mandate has come over. And then literally while I was in his office for an hour, the mandates changed three times. Uh, you know, so, and, and I mean, it was just both, both of our heads were spinning his way more so than mine. I mean, I flat told him, I said, they, they couldn't pay me enough to do your job this year. I mean, it's easy for me to sit here and give my perspective. His head just, his, I mean, it's, it's calmed down a little bit, but I mean, it, it, it was a rough, it was a rough year for all admin. I mean, obviously I'm not going to give him a free pass or anything, but it was a tough year for admin. Uh, oh yeah. I, I, I definitely think so. I think, uh, you know, our superintendent, Dr. O'Farrell is, uh, you know, she's had a year, um, and, yeah. yeah, I think she's had some successes and, um, yeah, I think she's done the best, best she can, but yeah, yeah. it's been rough. Well, uh, you know, and the thing is, I mean, and I don't, I, I don't want to overstate here, but it might have been nice had you had a teacher's organization and had there been a relationship there, because then a whole lot of the things that she had to shoulder on her own, she wouldn't have had to. I think that's a great um, point. Yeah. It's, you know, there's like not only is it is a union only for negotiation but there are many times when i have sat there and i said look let me go back to my membership let me present this to them let me get the feeling and then we can go from there um on on many things as far as um ways that we handle schedules during the pandemic on lots of things um 
there were quite a few things where I kind of got the feel of the membership, discussed things with the membership, either in an RTA meeting or just informally getting out and talking to people and then meeting back with the superintendent and letting him know, hey, move, you do this, you're going to be in trouble or how about this? And, you know, and, and again, he came to appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just, uh, you know, you know, a lot of it is about like shouldering the burden together, right. Being true. Right. I mean, I don't, the last thing I want to do is for him. And I told him, I said, the last thing I want to do is for you to say, okay, boom, we're going to do this and then have, you know, two thirds of my membership yelling at me and then me having to go in and yell at him. And then we have to start from ground zero. It's like, why, why do that? That, I mean, I'm not a masochist and most people aren't masochists. You, no, you no. want to do it the easiest way possible and the easiest way possible is to work together and, and, and solve it. And when you have to be as this year, when you have to be moving quick, it's hard. I would not have wanted to be a superintendent without someone to work with. Right. Uh, because that made their job a lot harder. Yeah. So it, you know, it kind of sounds like, you know, the unions have moved in or educator unions have moved into kind of a newer phase, this California labor management initiative, one built on relationships. Mm -hmm. We're all in this together. We all have the same goal of serving, you know, students. Um, and that's a partnership between, you know, several groups, including a superintendent group and uh, several yes. other organizations, including CTA, right? Yeah, and, 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 and I will say, I mean, to be a little bit of a devil's advocate here, um, it has to be a choice of, of the union. Um, had we not chosen that way, it could have been a very adversarial couple. Of, it, the, the past year could have been very adversarial. Um, some locals are that way. Uh, again, I point to LA Unified. Um, that's not the way I would do it. Um, I don't believe that the Clovis educators are trying to unionize to set up something that LA Unified has. Um, from what I understand, Clovis Unified is working for the betterment of their district and the betterment of their district for students and then teachers. Um, if that's the reason they're doing it, it's the right reason uh, because they want they want a better they want a better atmosphere for teachers. Uh, but the better atmosphere for teachers is only because they want a better educational experience for the students. And that's when your teachers are working well with your admin, when your admins are working well with your local, you're going to have that situation. We have that right now in Riverdale. Now, are we going to have that in 10 years? I don't know, but we do have it right now. We've worked hard to get where we're at. Um, but I, I, I do caution you, not every local is working that way. It, again, it's the, the work the onus is also on the local as well as the, as well as the district. Yeah, so yeah. In other words, you can't expect the district. Um, you know, let me put it this way. Districts aren't inherently evil either. Unions aren't inherently evil. Um, districts can do some bad things. The unions can do some bad things. It's the people that are in there and how they work together is what defines how it's going to work. So, you know, the having having a union, having your teachers in a union, having a strong local, 
sets up what you need to have a very strong district. Um, but again, the onus is on both parties. It's on the teachers and the union just as much as it is on the district. So I think you're, uh, you're getting to kind of the next idea here that we hear a lot. And that's that, you know, the idea, right, is that in the way you talk about it is that, that the local has, you know, a lot of control, a lot of say of what, you know, they become. And it's a reflection of the people that are in leadership. And, you know, what we hear a lot is that CTA is going to run the show. And so could you just talk about your experience with CTA? How much, you know, how much are they involved in the day-to-day -day operations of the Riverdale Teachers Association? Um, they may not want to hear this, but frankly, uh CTA sends me email and sends me my portion of our dues check every month. And that's about what, that's about the influence they have on me. Um, basically I run my local. Um, obviously I'm here to represent the teachers. If I have a teacher with an issue, I take care of that. Um, yes, I file grievances if needed. The really cool thing in the last two years, I haven't had to write a single grievance. And I told the superintendent that I said, my goal was to write no grievances the whole, the entire time I'm president. Wait, in two years, you haven't written a single grievance? Nope. That's amazing. That's and none of my site reps have. Um, because I, if we have open communication, we can solve it all before it gets down to a written form. And we do have open, and I will say we have a site right now, we, one of our sites is having leadership issues and there are problems there. But again, I've yet to write a grievance because if something makes it from site rep to me and I discuss it with the superintendent and he has trust in me that it's a real issue and he goes and has a talk and things are taken care of. So, so far, nothing has raised itself to the level of a grievance because everything has been able to be taken care of informally. So it's not to say that next week I might have to write a grievance. I don't know. But knock on wood, so far I haven't had to. And that's my goal. My goal is to solve everything informally. Um and lean on those relationships, right? That you and, and, lean, and lean on the relationship. My the teachers have relationships with the site reps. The site reps know they can come to me. And rather than writing a grievance, and you know, obviously, we're a small district, so I'm not saying that a, that a district the size of Clovis that it would work all that well. Um, it would be nice, um, and I would like to think that all of your many site administrators would have a good relationship with your site reps and your site reps could deal with things informally with site admin. Now that doesn't mean that something isn't going to raise itself to a, a level of a grievance that has to go above that, but we would hope it never would. Um, that's probably living in a fairy tale land because a large district, you're going to have issues. You're going to have more issues or issues that just get more serious than they do in a small district. So there's probably going to come a time where things have to be done. But again, as long as everyone trusts the process and does the steps of the process correctly, it's still not a big thing. A grievance is no big thing. It's just a basically formal writing of something that needs to be solved. And it just gets solved at a higher level.
All right. So, um, you know, you know, just back to the CTA thing. So, you know, we've heard a lot of these kind of things about, you know, the third party and about CTA and, and just some, you know, kind of things. So just real quick, let's just go through a few of these things. Will CTA take a portion of negotiated raises? No. Uh, what CTA, I mean, CTA, you set up your dues. Um, you would work with your, with your local rep to set your dues where you see fit. And there's various ways you can set your dues at different levels. It depends on, you know, there's, there's a base level, then there's a level where you build an account. Basically, if you think you're going to go to arbitration or this or that, where you need legal funds, um, that's all to be set. That's, that's way over my head. That, that would be for, for you and, and CTA to deal with when you sit down and initially set your, your dues scale. But once your dues are set, that's what CTA gets. And mind you, not all of that, not all of your dues goes straight to CTA. As I said, I get a check every month for my for a portion of my chapter's dues that go back to my chapter, and I can use that to send my members to conferences. Uh, there's there's an excellent new teachers conference that they run. I send all my new teachers to that. Um, and CTA runs that, right? Is that just to CTA clear? runs that? Yes. Yeah. And they have uh, good teacher conferences. They have um, issues conferences. I there's four or five conferences throughout the year that they have. Uh, hopefully, they go back live next year. Um, virtual just isn't the same. But um, and some are better than others. Some get more out of it than others. The good the the new teachers that I have sent have all come back saying that they liked the the new teacher conferences that they all got something good from it. Um, but also uh, that pays for me and my um, executive board to go to the region two conference every year. And plus it just, it literally, I buy door prizes for our RTA meetings. Um, it's, it's basically money for me to spend on my chapter quite. I just spent a very large portion um, of money on we ran a, a RTA sponsored and I got my district to kind of go in on it with me. Um, we ran a, we did a pandemic pound loss challenge because with the pandemic, everybody kind of sat around, we all put on extra weight and yeah, I was way up there. And well, I mean, I was, I kind of got caught in that perfect storm of having knee surgery and being out of the gym for a long time. Then my gym closed and all this and that and the other. So I was, I, I was way heavier than I wanted to be. And so my wife and I are planning to go to New Mexico this summer and doing some hiking and we like to zip line. And I realized that with my weight, I was too heavy to do any zip lining. So I said, you know what? I said, let's, I'm going to lose some weight. Let's everybody can stand, lose some weight. So I sponsored this pandemic pound loss challenge. We called it. And I actually got, I mean, my superintendent signed up for it. All our site principals signed up for it. We had two, three board members sign up for it, uh, who basically joined the teams of different school sites. And we had 76 people sign up for it. And I don't know, we lost a total of, I think we lost a total of over five. We were, we were over a quarter ton that we lost in weight. And basically, and so then at the end of it, I gave, I, I, I gave, hundred dollar gift cards to the 
top losing male and female um, each site. And, and then, of course, the sites that win. The, and the really funny thing is, is out of 76 people, three school sites, this, and that, and the other, two school sites exactly tied for percentage of weight loss. So while I was planning on buying roughly $30, $30 gift uh, deal, I had to buy like 60. So, so it was a, a good chunk of change I spent. But like I said, the district kicked in some money. They were able to pull some money from our insurance, our health and welfare insurance carrier. And uh, it actually was very good. And, uh, you know, it, it's just another thing, like I said, of working together. I mean, you know, our superintendent signed up. He signed up on the primary school uh, team and we had board members, one on the primary school team, actually two on the primary uh, school team and one on our elementary school team. And, um, you know, it, it was quite interesting when I revealed the results at the last board meeting. Everybody was, <laughs> it was, it was, it was a fun time. Yeah. And it really? was it's not what you would expect the school board to sound like because it was, you know, everybody was kind of ribbing each other over it. And it definitely was had an informal feel to it in a formal meeting. So it, it was good. It's a positive thing. It's again, it's. Yeah, I, I, that culture that you I, I did it to lose. Yeah, I did it ostensibly for everybody to lose weight. But at the same time, yeah, I was sitting there saying, yeah, this is also a really good way to build a relationship between union and district so and it and it worked so and that's again that's a portion of my dues money that allowed that to be possible so you know one of the things that we hear a lot about uh, uh, from the opposition group is that you know we're going to go on strike so you know um and uh, like i find it hard to believe given the the yeah. relationship that you're talking about that a strike is anywhere in your immediate future. But when was the last time uh, the Riverdale Teachers Association went on strike? I do understand that Riverdale teachers did strike. Um, I mean, we're talking, let's see. Well, let's say I graduated from high school in Riverdale in 1980. I came back in 1993 Sometime in between those two times, there was a strike. Uh, I tend to think, I want to say it was in the mid 80s, 84, 85, somewhere in there. Um, to be honest, I'm not even sure or positive that RTA existed at the time. Right. Um, I, it's been so long ago, I couldn't even tell you about it. I do know they did strike. That's all I know. Um, I also know that if if anybody is going into a union wanting to strike, they're crazy. Um, the strike is the atomic bomb. It you may win your point with a strike, but I guarantee what you will do is you will fracture your relationship for many years to come. And everyone who is on the school board, everyone that is on the admin team, and every teacher will remember that strike the rest of their career. Um, it's not to say that you should never strike. There may be an issue that comes along that is so powerful that you have no choice but to strike, but it is the absolute last result. Um, there's, arbitration, there's, there's other things to do before strike. What does it take? What, like what, you know, you, you're at that, this real powerful, significant issue 
Well, I mean, in the first place, you can't strike without taking a vote from your teachers and you you have to ratify that with your teachers. So you would have to have <laughs> the issue would have to be so strong that over half your teachers are, are feel bad, feel strong enough about it to to vote for a strike because the union can't just declare a strike. Um, the membership has to ratify the strike. So, um, yeah, I can't. <laughs> there are some districts that have some serious problems, um, safety issues, things like that. I can think of like Oakland. I think Oakland had a strike in the last within the last five years. And, you know, if you have. If you have an admin or and or a board that is just absolutely not listening and you have issues that must be taken care of for the safety, health and welfare of your membership, then perhaps you could get to a place where you would need to strike. Personally, I cannot see ever getting to that place. Um, to me, everything can be solved or resolved sooner. Unfortunately, there are some people that just like to take the rebel stance on everything. And first thing they want to say, oh, what? The district doesn't want to give us 10%. Let's strike. Right. Um, that's crazy. Um, so, uh, yeah, strike. I, <laughs> yeah, I don't even like to say the word strike. <laughs> I mean, the point. You know, and very, I mean, there have been very few districts. Uh, in the Central Valley that I know of in the last 20 years that have that have had strikes. Um, again, it's just it, it is it is a last resort. Mm. And it's it, it, it it's got to be really, really necessary. Um, I can't see. I, 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 just, I can't see any anything that would come before me where I would even think of striking. Right, right. And I mean, so it's exceedingly rare, right? And it is quite rare. And you got to get to a, a point where, um, you know, you, you have no other option, but then you still have to get, you know, the majority yeah. of your members to, to vote for it, right? Yeah. Like, Identify the strike, yes. Yeah. CTA doesn't come in and say, oh, you're going no, on. CTA yeah. will never come in and say you're going to strike, no. All right. So, you know, just that last kind of, that last layer of redundancy, right? Where, well, yeah. yes. All right. Um, so, you know, the last thing, you know, one of the last things that, that uh, you know, we hear a lot about is, um, you know, Columbus is obviously a very conservative uh, community or has conservative roots. And you have talked quite openly about identifying as a conservative. Um, you've mentioned it several times throughout this podcast. And, <laughs> Um, you know, just talk about, uh, kind of that being a conservative and being a, a, a union president. Well, um, CTA is, I will say, I mean, I'm not going to lie. CTA is a somewhat liberal organization. I am a somewhat conservative person. Um, just like anything else, um, I don't have to be in total agreement with somebody I work with. Um, you can work perfectly well with, with people that you don't agree with on every single item. Um, CTA offers many positive things. There are some things that CTA does that I don't agree with. Um, the biggest one I can call out just recently was Proposition 15, the schools and community first thing. I was totally opposed to that. 
and CTA was strongly backing it. So I mentioned earlier going to Region 2. I went to the Region 2 um, conference that year, the year that they were trying to get that on the ballot. And CTA was taking a very strong pro-Proposition 15 uh, stance. And in the president's meeting at that conference, I basically called out the fact that Proposition 15 was going to raise taxes on certain aspects of agriculture. And then they argued back that it wasn't. And I said, really, did you read it? And well, yeah, we read it. I said, did you read the part about dairy barns and things like that? Well, and I said, no, I bet you didn't because they're going to be taxing dairies. I said, it's kind of ironic to me that the large portion of my school district's area is dairy. And we raise property taxes on all the dairies. Many of those dairies that have been family owned for generations that are pretty much running on a razor thin line as far as profit and everything else. I said, those dairies close down. Those dairy workers go away. What happens to my school? Because guess where those kids are coming from? The family of those dairy workers. And so we got into quite a spirited discussion of dairy finances. And um, the funny thing was, is then some of the presidents from the Chowchilla area said, hey, wait a minute, we're dairy too. And then some people from Southern California, uh, we're dairy too. So it became a rather heated um, session. My point being, I had voice, and I voiced that opinion to literally the CTA state president and the treasurer and everybody else that was there. And frankly, I got new wording put in to the proposed amendment or wording change that pretty much changed the part about the dairies. Now, of course, I still didn't agree with it because it's like, okay, you're going to try to placate me there with that, but there's still other people who are going to be taxed that I don't agree with on this. So I still never backed it, but you know, I did get listened to and I did get some change done. And here I am president of just a little tiny local, but I voiced my opinion and others. And so I was able to facilitate a little bit of a change in the state organization just at that one meeting. So you know, again, um, I don't agree with everything CTA does. There are other stances they take. Um, they kind of delved into gun control sometimes. And I tend to think that's just not an issue that really CTA should be taking up. Um, guns are already illegal in the classroom. We know that. Um, we don't really need to go any further with that. And my caution to CTA is, is every time you take a stance on a kind of a firebrand type issue like that, you risk alienating a certain part of your membership. And unless it directly affects my classroom, I really don't like you backing certain things in the political spectrum. Now, is that going to change everything about CTA? No, it's not. I, I realize that. But I'm still able to say my piece at all the meetings I go to. Um, I'm listened to. Sometimes I get action. Sometimes I don't. Um, it's no different than the political spectrum of the country. You know, I vote every election. Sometimes I win, sometimes I don't. Um, 
doesn't mean I stop participating in the process just because I don't agree with what happened. So it's kind of the same thing with the union. Just because I don't agree with everything they do doesn't mean I'm not going to participate in the process. And so, yeah, that's an interesting story, right? Because you actually got to influence the policy in like some small way, right? So that, that, yeah, it was a very small way, but you know, I was heard and, uh, and I, it did get attention. And I will say for quite a few Fresno Madeira meetings after that, people took notice and I had top CTA people coming over to me and, and showing me things. Look, we, we did this, we took care of this. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I still don't agree with the, with the thing. And quite frankly, the schools and communities first should have been written the other way around. It was communities first schools. were going to get a little bit of scrap thrown to us at the end, but I tried to point that out to them. But <laughs> they, you know, they, they were blinded by that supposed 11 billion we were supposed to get every year. Yeah. Um, that would have, trickled down to nothing, but whatever. Could you uh, talk about, um, you know, kind of opting out of, of kind of the political donations? Right, yeah. With uh, with your membership in CTA, um, which you do through your local, you're joining CTA, uh, there is a part on your little, uh, on your membership form where you can opt out of any of your dues going towards uh, CTA's political actions. So no portion of your dues have to go to CTA's political action. Uh, many of my teachers and myself have checked that box. And so that our, our dues go strictly for other, basically the administration costs of CTA. And then, like I said, so a lot of it comes back to our, to our local chapter. Um, but none of it goes to further any of the political um, practices or political act activism of CTA. Oh, and, yeah. and I guarantee that, and I don't say that with a wink, wink, and oh yeah, they, they say that, but they still do. No, I've, I, I, I've been to financial uh, meetings and as it's, it's audited, it's accounted, and it's, you can believe it, it doesn't go to political to any political activity so this money then goes to help local unions uh um for your infrastructure for your know, weight loss challenges that sort of thing yeah. but also professional development for teachers uh is there you know training for site reps that that's there's sort of site rep trainings yeah there's there's site rep trainings there you know when you go to the larger conferences, you have, you know, trainings for your officers. Obviously there's president training, there's treasurer's training. Um, there's like, a, there's, there's all the other um, um, things they put on. They put, like I said, they put on the good, they put on two good teaching conferences. They put on the, the new teacher conferences. They put on the issues conferences. There's, those all require quite a bit of money. Yeah. Um, the, just the region two conference in Reno, uh, costs a lot. Yeah. And yeah. yes, it's Reno and we're California teacher association and yet we go to Reno for the thing, but there is a reason for that. And it's been, I, I questioned it as well, but it does make sense to me that when they're all done, it, it it's held in Reno. Yeah. So, uh, and one of the conferences is held in Vegas, um, which, you know, you get to go to a conference and you get to go to Vegas. Um, it's not bad. It's a little perk that goes along with it. If you like Vegas, I'm not really necessarily a Vegas fanatic, but if you like to go to Vegas and get a conference at the same time, that's good. Uh, another thing is, and 
it's kind of a minor detail, but when you do go to CTA conferences, I use this myself. Um, you can, because you're going for trainings and everything, uh, CTA has an agreement with Chico State where you can buy uh, professional growth units um, for like, as far as I know, it hasn't changed. They're the cheapest professional growth units you can get. They're 60 bucks a piece. And uh, I think I got, I think I moved up my last salary step strictly by using um, Chico State um, University units at $60 a pop. So that wasn't bad at the price of units nowadays in a at college. Yeah. All right. So lots of, lots of perks there. And, you know, aside from, you know, conferences in Vegas, which I do know uh, a few teachers in close that would really, really <laughs> like that, but, um, you know, just well, as long I, as they go to the conferences as well. I go to the conference <laughs> as well as the other stuff. Um, yeah, why should educators in Clovis Unified sign the union support petition? Um, simply because, like I've said, um, the the ed, the career of uh, of in education, any career in education, especially the career of a teacher, um, it is. It's an extremely rewarding career, but it's also a career where you're in constant danger of whims of the public or whims of administration. Um, things can change from one year to the next. Things can change from one day to the next. You never know. Um, having the peace of mind of having the union behind you is well worth what you pay in dues. Um, Besides having the million dollar legal coverage, which, yeah, that's the big thing to me. But just having the knowledge that if for some reason you get an evaluation you don't agree with, if you get something that's unfair, if you are in danger of being terminated unfairly, you have a union behind you. And what a union does is it's not going to keep a bad teacher from being fired, but it is going to make a district go through the due process just like the judicial system has to go through due process. Um, you know, a, a, a teacher who has done something that warrants termination is still going to be terminated. It's just that that teacher will get due process, but a teacher who could be in danger of termination who has done nothing wrong, then the due process system will allow that teacher to retain their job. Um, I've seen it. I've seen it many times over 20 years, just in like a, in this small district. So I'm sure it happens a lot more in larger districts. So things happen. Uh, we like to think they don't. We like to kind of, you know, just kind of stay within our classroom, stay within our box and think, uh, gee, nothing's ever really going to happen. Sometimes it does. And it's really nice to have the peace of mind that you have union protection behind you um if it does um you know hopefully no teacher ever has to use it but in the real world i i i know that teachers will have to use it um unfortunately um it's it, it's i don't want to say necessary evil because like i said unions aren't inherently evil um but a union is a necessary thing um because there are going to be issues. You have to have a way to solve them 
with due process for the teacher. And that's, that's what a union guarantees. All right, Doug. Yeah, we, we so appreciate you joining us tonight. We appreciate your service to the kids of, of Riverdale uh, for you know, 30 years now in Riverdale. Um, uh, what an amazing journey you've been on. And, um, you know, you talked earlier about kind of this, you know, as classroom teachers, you know, we only see maybe you know, 10% of what goes on, right? And uh, really appreciate you joining us tonight and kind of illuminating, you know, kind of that the bottom, you know, below the surface part of the glacier or the iceberg, right? Yeah, we yep. get the top part of the iceberg um, and your experience. And, you know, I think a lot of people out there listening to this are going to be, um, their spirits are going to be buoyed by, you know, what you talked about tonight. So thanks yeah, for joining us and, yeah. uh, you know, uh, have a great summer. No problem. Uh, yeah, good luck. And, uh, you know, hope you guys, hope, Hope you guys join and hope, hope to see you guys at some conferences in the future. Yeah, um, that's what we're after. Yeah. It, 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 I think it could be a very positive thing. Again, um, it, it, it'll be what you guys make it. And I think from what I've heard and the people I've spoken to, um, I think you guys are doing it for the right reasons. And I think it'd be a very positive force in Clovis Unified. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Doug. And we'll, right. we'll see you in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. All right. Take care. Thanks so much to Doug Childress for joining us on the Ace Pod. He has a really compelling story about an effective organization and how an effective organization can serve the can serve the needs of students and all of its members, all while fostering a positive and collaborative relationship with administration. We hope that the beginning of this school year is going well. And as always, if you have any questions, if you need our support, or if you would like to join ACE, you can find us on the web at www.cloviseducators.org. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time on the ACE Pod.